about to start the first Sunday of Advent. If you are new here to Grace, you should uh, find this pretty interesting. You, it might not be something that you're used to, but uh, most people I find, after a while, they, they end up loving it. It's, it's uh, something our church has been doing for about four years now, and it's just a very rich tradition, and it's a lot of fun, and uh, let's go ahead and pray to open us up. Would you guys stand with me? Ah, well, Father, we just, we set this morning apart to you. We declare that this time is sacred, it's special, it's not ordinary. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for this time where we come expecting you to be present with us as we're present with you and as we're present with each other. As this would be a time where we're not just uh, drawn into the scriptures only, but Holy Spirit, we just make ourselves unavailable to you this morning. We ask that you would move in us and through us, and we ask that we'd walk away closer to you, but also closer to each other. And uh, We ask that the, that the season of waiting, um, the season of expectation would begin to settle uh, into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You can all be seated. Well, today's going to be a little different. Uh, I have no idea how this is going to go, if it's going to work, but we're going to try it. I have something very different to talk about this morning. Uh, as I said, we've been doing Advent for three or four years now, and I love it so much, but when you teach the same verses four years in a row, it's hard to come up with something new, right? Uh, and so what we're going to do is teach the exact same thing, but in a very different way. So hopefully, three quarters through this morning, you'll have no idea what we're talking about, but then at the end, it's all going to connect and make sense. Sound fun? Everyone's like, no. Oh my God. He's up to it again. He's going to mess with us again. So what kind of Christmas routines do you guys have? Um, Who put up their tree already? Most everyone. Okay, so what kind of uh, routine and rituals do you guys have? Do you guys, you know, uh, do you guys have cookies? Do you guys do songs? Do you guys, you know, have anything interesting that you guys do every year? When it's time to put the tree up. Holler it out. Anybody? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought I just heard pickle. Yell it to me. What are you talking about? Pickle. You have a glass pickle. See what you guys learn when you come to church on a Sunday morning? You guys have a glass pickle. Okay, so I thought my story was interesting. I guess not. You completely threw me off this morning. I, I, I'm not sure like, where to go from, from uh, glass pickle. Um, so we put up the tree last night, okay? What we normally do is this, okay? The Sunday following Thanksgiving is normally when we do it. Uh, we used to go out to the tree farm and get a tree. Sadly, we now have three kids, and we realize that having a real tree is so awesome, but it is a lot of work, Right? So we bought this beautiful, but yes, it's a fake tree. But (laughs) what's amazing about it is this, okay? It's three parts. One part, two part, third part, you're done. It took us 30 minutes last night to have the whole tree up, you know, like the ribbon, the ornaments. 
I mean, just sat back and looked at it, and we we're like, something just feels off. I mean, like, normally it takes us about four hours, right? I mean, you know, to do everything. It's just a different thing. Uh, we always have James Taylor Christmas music fans, anybody? James Taylor? Three people, okay, who understand the light, that's okay. Um, we always do eggnog. Well, me and the kids do eggnog, not you, okay. Um, one of the best things uh, with the whole thing is when the tree's all done, we normally wake the kids up around 1 or 2 a.m., and they come out to see the tree fully prepared, right? And it's always amazing to see their faces, you know, you know like half asleep, but, you know, and it's like they walk out and they see it, and it's just this, oh, Christmas, right? And so in that moment, you know, the atmosphere in the room just changes instantly. And, you know, these things that we do, these uh, routines, rituals, okay, it's, it's, it's amazing what happens for us because most of you have something in the holidays, whether it's eggnog or a smell or a sight or a sound or a taste, there's something that triggers you and it takes you all the way back to childhood, right? Everyone has something, okay? Uh, this morning, you know, you'd be 20 or 80, but when you have that taste, when you have that, that sight or that sound or that smell, it takes you all the way back to childhood. It's a powerful thing, isn't it? No, it's not. It's amazing how you can remember exactly the way, you know, the room felt, the, the smell, the, the, uh, the emotions. And it could be 15, 30, 50 years ago, but it's so vivid to you. It's so real. What we call this, we call this a trigger, okay? Um... How about this? What smell to you speaks Thanksgiving? Cinnamon, stuffing, cranberry sauce. Few people in this room actually eat cranberry sauce at any other time in the year, right? But the moment that the can is cracked and that really awkward looking, you know, thing comes out, you know, all of a sudden it's Thanksgiving time, right? These triggers, ah. Uh, they have power. It's amazing. And uh, this is important for a reason for us, because there's a problem that most of us have, and it's we, we desire to be followers of Jesus. We desire to be people who live first for God, with God, through God, to God, right? It's this idea that, you know, to be Christians is, we are following the model of Jesus daily. We are living for a different world, a different future, a different time. We're supposed to be so odd because of that reason. And we all have these moments where uh, it feels so real for us. Um, there's a youth event I went to, I mean, probably, oh, who knows when. And that night, I'm not sure if it was just the things going on in me, or if it's the music, or the speaker, something, but, you know, in that moment, my intentions were real. I wanted to serve God, right? In that moment, in that moment, what I wanted most was to change, to be a different person, 
to be someone that pleased God. But the struggle is this for all of us, right? Three hours from that time, I really wanted a cheeseburger. Right? And then a few hours after that, I really wanted to go to sleep. And then, you know, when I woke up in the morning, I really wanted to hit the snooze button. And then, all of a sudden, all these other wants begin to compete. Right? And so what happens for most of us is, we still have a place in our hearts where we truly want to live through Jesus first, where He is the number one thing in our lives. But the problem with that is, is that the emotions, the thought process, the it just it never lasts for us. Most of us go through seasons, right? You have this moment where you are so excited about God and the things He has for you. God, I'll do anything for you. And then all of a sudden, it just begins to wane and wane. Then you go through moments where when you come to church, when you pray, when the Bible opens, it's just kind of a, an eh. Come on, right? An eh. Eh. Oh, so now we're to the sermon. Pastor Devin's going to talk about Advent. There we go. Here we go. You guys are awake this morning. Awesome. Okay. Yes, it's, it's just a, oh, okay, great, right? When do the Cowboys play? Oh, darn, next week, right? For most of you guys. They already played this week. But that's what happens, though, right? These competing emotions and desires begin to fight within our life. And the reason that we have this problem is because everything in our life is built to trigger desires and emotions and feelings for other things. Okay, when you wake up on a Monday morning and your kids are screaming, okay, that doesn't trigger this desire for deep intercession and prayer, right? It triggers, it's your morning. I'm going to the shower to put your plugs in. Okay, you guys don't have kids freshly right now. It's okay, okay, but it's real. It's a real thing. When you go to work and, you know, you have a case of the Mondays, you trigger this desire to get to Friday. I can't wait to be away from this. When you go home and see your bills and you say, oh, you know, it, it triggers this desire to have a different job, to have more money, to be free of those things. When, you, when your friend texts you and tells you they're going to the Razorback game, it used to make you want to go, but now, you know, amen. amen. We don't get on Facebook and you see that everyone's going to Branson again. Come on, everybody, laugh. It makes you want to go again, right? We have this, we have a life, a, a world that is constantly trying to push us away from God. There are a few things in our life that actually begin to trigger the appetite for more of God. Now, this is where these things we call uh, holidays or holy days come in. You know, it's this idea that, that we would take specific days in the calendar and say, on this day, we are going to remind ourselves of this thing. And on this day, we're, we're going to stir the pot of our emotions about God in this way. And on this day, we're going to, to renew our hope in looking to God and not to our promotion or our new job. And what happens is these uh, holidays, you know, the 
Christ Mass, which we have. The reason these things have been, the reason that Advent has value is, you know, it's this place where it says, we are going to take four weeks, five weeks, and we are going to remind ourselves and begin to stir the pot of our affection for God. Because the problem is, it's always this. It's always that the affection we have for everything else gets stirred 24-7. Now, the bigger issue here in all this is the reason that Advent needs to be important for us, the reason that, you know, that, uh, that, that Christmas and Easter, uh, Lent even, you know, all these things have value, is because we don't know how to be the church fundamentally. Because, see, the church, you, are supposed to be what stirs the pot of my emotions for God. You are supposed to be what reminds me about God. You're supposed to be what, what kind of recenters me each week. So what happens is, whether it's a Sunday, it's a Wednesday, it's a phone call, you know, you know, it's a text, it's lunch, the body of Christ is supposed to be constantly stirring that affection. When the world around us is always trying to push us to love money, to love you know, success or jobs, or to love ourselves, the body of Christ, the Scriptures, the Spirit of God are always supposed to be pushing us in the other direction. But the problem is for most of us is that one, we don't know how to come to the Scriptures. Secondly, we don't know how to hear the Spirit. But thirdly, one of the biggest issues we have is that we don't know how to be there for each other. So what happens is we are, we are adrift alone. Who has been, um, who's been tubing before? We will call it Christian tubing, right? You are more present than the other tubers, right? Okay, I'm just assuming. Come on, you guys know what tubing is about, right? They all get together and just get wasted and float down the river together, right? Okay. Christian tubing, right? You guys are praying and singing hymns. The idea is this. It's very simple. We're not going to fight the current, but what we're going to do is we are going to join together, okay, interlock together, and allow ourselves to do, if you would, almost have you know, our own little world as we float down this current, okay? The mission of the church is not to change the world. The mission of the church is to represent the kingdom in the world, okay? So what happens in this process is that the responsibility that we have is to in some way, when we interlock our lives together, we begin to resemble something different in this world. We look different. We sound different. You know, we care about different things. You know, we are tooping down singing hymns, and the other guys are tooping down with the singing other things, right? I can tell you guys really have not gone tubing before. <laughs> you guys are like, that is not funny at all. So what happens here is, is that we have to understand that there are reasons and, and ways that God has given us to stay connected to Him. Because again, the hardest thing in the church is not finding people who want to serve and, and follow and, and you, know, you know, to love God. The hardest thing is, is, is helping people actually do that. And on a Sunday morning, coming and singing songs or you know, having some guy get up at the Scriptures, it has value and it helps 
but it hardly does anything to help you fight the current. Because the moment that you leave here, when you turn the TV, when you pull up your phone, when you go to work, everything in your life is going to begin to shift your focus, your thoughts, your emotions, your life everywhere else. And so again, the question is, how do we fix this? How do we solve this? Hmm. Now, here's something interesting. Now, the way God speaks to me sometimes is, is slightly odd, so just kind of stay with me. And my handwriting is awful and terrible, and everyone who's been in class with me, amen? It's bad. Here's the deal, okay? The board is more for me. It's more to help me focus than it is to help teach anyone, okay? So that sounds selfish, but again, you know, it, it helps me stay focused. So here's the thing. Here is the way that the world works, okay? God speaks to me about this. And when I was thinking and praying about this, what I saw was circles. It sounds odd. If you're taking notes, put circles. I know these are more like egg shapes, okay? But just kind of play with me, okay? Okay, look. Circles. Now, what happens here is that the way that this world functions is everything around us, the news, our job, it, it constantly tells us one thing. Take care of yourself. The pain, the trouble in this world, the lack in this world will constantly tell you something very simple. You need to protect yourself. You need to look out for yourself. You need to take care of your family. And you need to be careful of everyone else because this world is going to someplace we don't want to go to. So what happens is this. Everything in your life is going to begin to speak to you to close your circles, meaning this. Here's the Walker family, okay? Here's the Allen family. Here's the Dean family. Dumont family, just for fun, okay? Steiningers, right? And here's the idea. We will continually begin to shrink our circles. Here's what it looks like. We will begin to define who really is my family, who really is my friends. And what happens in this is we begin to isolate ourselves based on value. And the people who are inside my circle are the ones who have something to offer me. And what happens here is, if you don't have anything to offer me, even worse, if you are a threat to me, you will find yourself on the outside of my circle. Now, what happens here, again, it, it, it sounds very simple, I understand this, I'm about to get a little bit more complicated with this. This is the fundamental image of what it means to live self-centeredly, selfishly, if you would, right? Now, the gospel tells us what? We are to live what? Selflessly, right? Now, the problem in this is very simple. From Monday through Saturday, you are bombarded with the urge and the idea and the pressure to put yourself first. When you're at work, how many promotions will you probably get if you are always out helping everyone else around you get their work done? Okay. Would Dave Ramsey tell you to pay your neighbor's bills before your own bills? 
Probably not going to help you very much, right? Okay. Um, would we train our soldiers when they go fight ISIS? Do we say, hey, I love you. Here's a blanket. No, right? Because it's probably not going to go very well for who? Now again, some of these things are realities. We understand this, but just you know, what I'm trying to show you on Facebook, okay? What everyone on Facebook is doing is talking about themselves and in some way, shape, or form trying to, to identify who they are and who they are not. For example, in the last eight weeks, how much on Facebook was being posted to bring people together? Right, right? Okay. Now, how much on Facebook was closing circles? You are what? With me or you are what? Either you identify with this or I'm going to close my circle and you will find yourself where? On the outside. Okay. Now let's get interesting here. Now, uh-oh. let me read this from the notes real quick. Okay. Self-preservation isolates. We w- withdraw and circle up our lives. We determine who is in and who is out. We close off, unwilling to share our story or listen to anyone else's. Now, we're going to get to story and explain you know, how that's important. Now, this is the way the world works. This is uh, the way that this, this fallen world where sin has been released, which means death is released, which means pain exists. And since there's pain, that means that now we have what? Fear of pain. And so what happens here is because we've all experienced pain, now we all know how to avoid pain. Um, have you ever, uh, when you have a puppy, okay? You take that puppy and you begin to pet that puppy. The next time you walk in the room, it will do what? It will come back for more petting, right? If that puppy is born and the first time that you see the puppy, you kick the puppy. What will happen when you walk in the room? It's going to run away from you, right? Okay. We have all learned what happens in life. When we are surrounded by a world and by people who care most about themselves first, what happens to us? We get kicked. Okay? And we learn something. Through pain, we learn fear. Through fear, we learn how to protect ourselves. If you were to sit down and look at the relationships in your life, what you'll see, most of you, is that you have found people who are safe. The people you spend your time with are people who have proven not to hurt you. And the ones you are the closest to, it's increasingly so. The only people that you are around and have to spend time with, have to talk to, who, who might hurt you, are the people who you can't change it, Okay? Co-workers, for example, right? You can't change who you work with, but you can change how you relate to them, right? The people who you have found to be the safest are the ones who you are the most yourself with, the most honest, the most walls down with. But by and large, your entire life is about finding ways to separate yourself from everyone and everything that poses danger to us. Now, what's interesting about this is that when we begin to look at the Gospel, and the way that God's called us to live, it's a very opposite form of life. 
In the same way that self-preservation isolates, sacrificial love does what? It connects us. In the same way that we can live in a way to kind of push away everyone else to take care of ourselves, self-sacrificial love, it connects us. Through God, we find the vulnerability and trust to share and to listen. So what happens in this, when you begin to find the ability to, to, if you would, let people in, okay, what happens is you begin to find your life interlocked more and more with people around you. Now, the way that God has called us to live is very simple. Now, think circles again, but interlocking circles. And so... Uh, Here's the Kimes family, right? And so what happens here in the kingdom is that you have people who naturally in their life in the world have been taught to separate, to isolate themselves. But now you have these kingdom-minded followers of Jesus, people who live counter to culture. And what they do in their lives is their entire life becomes this means of interconnecting people together. Now, what does 1 Corinthians call this? It calls us ministers of what? Reconciliation. Simplify this word. It means to bring things where? Together. When the Apostle Paul talks about the Antichrist spirit, okay, he defines something that has one purpose. It separates. It divides. It brings division. It does the exact opposite of what the Spirit of Christ does. And so what happens in our lives is that we find ourselves, when we begin to obey to God, I don't even know who the F is for, but it's some family starts with an F, okay? We begin to find ourselves being connectors, okay? What happens is we begin to be the ones who bring people back into connection together. Now, what's very interesting about this, okay? We're slowly working ourselves to a very big point here. Um, if you guys are taking notes, put down stories. The primary way that we connect to anything is through this word. It's called story. Now, think about your life, okay? What are your favorite things aside from your family? I have to be careful with that one. We'll say this. <laughs> yeah, everyone's like, I'm not saying my favorite thing. Okay. Um, think about music, right? What does the best music do? Oh, okay. It makes you feel. What does it do? Who likes country music? It's, it's, it's famous for this. What does good country music do? Tell stories. Now, I'm not a country, okay, I mean, like, let's all be clear. I am not a country music fan, per se, okay? But I can appreciate this about it. The most beautiful forms of music tell stories, even without words. What about movies and books? Now, we can appreciate Dumb and Dumber, right? I mean, we can appreciate this, right? Yes, it has value, but it's not going to make the top five list, okay? 
<sighs> sure. You're right about that, right? But the movies and the books that really touch us the most are the ones that, again, tell a story. Most importantly, the ones that not just tell a story, but the ones that connect us into a story. We begin to find parts of ourselves in the story. And we say, I can identify with this because I know what this is like. So you ladies can read a story that's based in the 1600s and be weeping about it, right? You know nothing about, you know, half of the book has nothing to do with you, right? But she fell in love, right? You know, you're like, oh my goodness, I just love it. I would just love to live back then, right? Oh, no, you would not, <laughs> you know. But they had love, right? Uh, Gilmore Girl fans in the room. Two people, awesome. I know there's more of you guys who are just embarrassed, okay? Uh, most guys don't get it. That's, that, that is honestly probably healthy. It's okay. But, again, uh, half of the globe went absolutely crazy uh, Thanksgiving night because they could not wait for this show to come back because they couldn't wait to connect back to the story, to these people. And it's, it's kind of almost scary a little bit because so many women in this world were actually, I mean, crying, laughing, screaming about people they've never, ever met in their entire lives. But there's such a connection because somehow the story has weaved them into where they feel as if they know these people. Now, if you've seen the episodes, you know, almost everyone was not fully satisfied at the end of this. There has to be more. Exactly. I'm not, there's no spoilers here. Satisfied or not? Okay, that's my thought. Heartbroken. There were women crying over this thing. What in the world, right? Then you have men who are wise and who know who Christmas does not come until Die Hard has been watched. Correct? Now again, I mean like most of us have no experience with weapons or with being you know, a hero or anything like that, right? But there's some part of us that just wants to connect to just the courage, the manliness, the awesomeness, okay? That is Die Hard. I mean... Now, what's interesting is this. When Jesus comes talking about the kingdom, how does he connect people to something they cannot see, feel, taste, or touch yet? What does he do? Story. Short stories, which we call parables. And what he does is he says, this thing that's coming is the most important thing in all existence. You can't yet touch it, taste it, feel it, smell it yet, but here's what I have. Here's a way for you to be connected to it. And he would tell these stories, and he would say, imagine this. And he would begin to tell these stories, and he was describing these images and these experiences even of the kingdom of God. You have to understand the power of a story. Now, in churches, we use a different word for this. What word do we use for story? Testimony. Testify. Right? Who here has gone to a church where testimonies were very important? Who here has like been dragged up on the stage because you got saved? Share your testimony. And you say, I felt good. 
And then I said a prayer. <laughs> I mean, right, you're like, I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm not sure what's interesting about this. Now, most of us have, you know, have been taught to view testimony, to view our story in a very small way. Okay, the, the idea of testimony to us was the idea of sharing how we got saved. Now, what's very interesting about the scriptures. We see in the book of Revelation that, you know, this, this image of that the way that, 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 that the church is going to, to partner with God to, to overcome Satan is through what Jesus accomplished, the blood of the Lamb, but also through what? The word of their testimony. And again, to most of us we go, it's a story of how we got... Now, verses always really bother me. I was always like, what is that? What? But to a Jew, a story, a testimony, does not mean a short-ended, if you would, story. What's interesting about the Jews was that, was that they felt personally connected to the story of the entire world. When they would hear the story of Adam and Eve, they felt directly connected. When they were talking you know, about Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or Moses, They were talking about an ancestor of theirs. It was their blood. It's a story that they are just another page in. It was something that they were woven into. It was much more real to them than it is to us. So what happened for them, you know, for them to have a story, their story was not an isolated story. Their story was simply a connection in a much bigger chain that goes all the way back to the creation of the world. The the problem for most of us is that when we talk Christmas, when we talk Easter, we talk cross, resurrection, we talk about, you know, the Bible in general, there is a separation for us. And what happens for the Gospel, for, for Christmas, for the Incarnation, it becomes... Something that we do not feel anymore. And when it comes to stories that we do not feel fully connected to, when it comes to stories that are not grounded in our lives, in our experience, we have a term for these stories. We call these stories fairy tales. Right? And the problem for most of us is that there is a moment in our lives where this fairy tale feels real. And it's not a fairy tale in that moment. It's real. It's, it's our story. It's our experience. It's something that's happening right then. We can feel it. We can sense it. You know, it, it's, it's a powerful experience. But the problem is, is that the moment that life and bills and marriage and kids and, and, and jobs and vacations and when everything begins to sweep us back out to sea, all of a sudden... We're stuck in the ordinary of life, and that story begins to feel like a fairy tale again. And Christmas becomes about a tree and presents and family coming in, and those in-laws who we love very much. (laughs) Thanksgiving becomes about turkey and football and naps. That's not a Christian holiday anyway, but you know. That's okay for Thanksgiving to be that, by the way. That's okay. Easter becomes about a big Christmas service and eggs and a bunny. And how do we even get there, right? 
And again, we just begin to be separated. And so what happens again is we begin to find ourselves struggling to have any real connection to being a follower of Jesus. Because our story and our lives are so separated from Him. And so most of us have the same problem. Again, we struggle every single week to get ourselves to do anything that even looks like being Christian. Those of us who have devotional times, I mean, you guys are rare. And so we all struggle to find a way to get back to where it feels really good, to where we hit that high again, to where we have a week or a month where we're actually pursuing God. But most of us, if we're honest, being a Christian is mostly a title. And it's mostly in the past for us. I had an experience. And now I go to church once every three or four weeks. That is the... It's kind of the end total of it for most of us. Now, think about the stories in your life that had the most impact. When did you meet your spouse? When did you hold your child for the first time? These things had such permanence for us. But it's not just because the experience was powerful. It's because there's something in our lives that every single morning, every single day, makes it real to us again. Right? Right? It's hard for me to forget about my kids. You know why? You guessed it. 6 a.m., they're screaming for me. It's hard for me to forget my wife because 6 a.m., she's screaming at me. (laughs) Go get the kids. They said daddy, not mommy. Here's what you have to understand in this, okay? We don't have the ability to, to wake up and to sit down with Jesus the way that we can our spouses. We don't get to have a conversation with Him, you know, uh, the way we do with our friends and coworkers. Yes, all you spiritualized people that say, yes, we can. Sure, on your best day. Be honest. On your worst day when you're talking to God, He's a thousand miles away. Come on, someone be honest. On your normal day, when, you know, when you get in your car and it's silent, you go, right? You don't go, hey, Jesus, I'm here, let's talk. Some of you do, okay, but you, again, the exception. And so again, we have this disconnect. Now, here's what I want us to understand is this, is that what is supposed to connect us to God is each other. His Spirit in His Scriptures do exist for us to connect Him. But you have to understand this. When He described the body of Christ of which He is the head, okay, He did not talk about the importance of the Spirit and the Scriptures. Now, we know that those are extremely important. But He doesn't have to emphasize us. What He has to emphasize, what He has to convince us of is the value of what? Each other. Because this world and everything in it continues to tell us that we need to place value somewhere else. For example, let me poke some of us. Many of us on Christmas, the day which we are to celebrate and to remember that God came to us 
And that in the same way He came to us to connect us to Him and to create His body. And we're supposed to celebrate this with the family of God. Where will most of us be on Christmas morning? Not here. Right? I mean, be honest. I would rather be at home. Okay, there you go. Freedom, right? Yeah, that's even a good point too. We have been taught, again, that this does not have value. The average attendance at this church once every seven weeks. Now again, that's not everyone. Did you guys know in the next six weeks there will be about 550, 600 people who come to this church? But you won't know half of them. I don't even know half of them. Now they expect me to know them, right? And it's not even because they're bad people. We all have these good intentions. The reason, again, is everything in our life tells us to value everything else. Because here's the reason. It is safer. Now, how do we fight this? The way we fight this is in two parts. Sharing and in listening. Trust me, I know that I'm sounding like kumbaya. I mean, I understand that. All right, but just stay with me. One of the, one of the most Christian Christ things we do is we do what? We share our testimony, right? And that sounds a lot more familiar. But your testimony is not your story of how you got saved. Your testimony is what? Your life. It's not just that great day when you felt those good things and you did those good things. It's the story of the good and the bad and the in-between and the confusion and the pain and the frustration and the questions and the answers and the healing and then there's still more questions and more pain. And it's this roller coaster ride and you say, this is who I am. And then all of a sudden someone else goes, oh, I can relate to that. But of course, when we sit down and we say, man, Jesus is good all the time. All the time He's... I can tell I don't do that here enough, right? You guys are like, what? He's God. He's good. How are you doing today, man? I'm blessed and highly favored. I thought I just saw you fighting with your wife in the car. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. We're laying hands on each other. <laughs> come on, say it. Come on. Your story, and I, I, trust me, I, I get it. This sounds so... Oh. So flaky, if you would. One of the most real, difficult expressions of faith, of trust in Jesus, is being willing to begin to live this self-sacrificial way, to begin to live with your circle open, with your walls down. To be willing to share your story with someone means that you are risking being rejected. Few of you in this room have actually shared intimate details of your life, of experiences, of the good and the bad with, with more than 10 people in this room. Why? Because it's dangerous, right? Here's something even harder. Even fewer of us have sat down to listen 
do 10 other people share those things? Because for me to listen means I have to be willing to invest my time in you. means I have to be willing to not just listen that moment, but to risk the fact that you might text me. You might call me. You might message me on Facebook. You might actually want to go sit down and talk more. You might want to come to my house. I might not want you to come over. Come on. The danger in listening is that I'm not just listening to a story. The danger is connecting. Because I'm not sure if I want to connect my life to you. Because you know what? In my circle, I'm not sure if I'm willing to make room for you. Now, we're going to connect this to the bigger story. Here's how we're going to connect all this together. If you guys have your Bibles, go to John chapter 1. Advent centers on this one word. We center on the incarnation of Christ. Now we kind of, uh, we water it down a little bit and we say it's about the birth of Jesus. Yes, yes it is about the birth of Jesus, but what the birth of Jesus is is so significant because it is God putting on flesh, which sounds weird to all of us. I mean, flesh is just an odd word, right? Flesh? Come on. You guys are like, no. I use the word flesh all the time during the week, right? No, you don't. Okay. It is God. God. I mean, God. God. Right? God. Coming down here. It's God sweating and eating, sleeping. I'll stop there for you guys. There's other things that happen when you put on flesh. And it's God doing those things. It's God humbling Himself. And, it's, and of course, it's God putting on flesh. The manger is not this beautiful picture. It's this nasty picture. It's animals and smell and muck and flies and sickness and disease and germs. Germaphobes here, guys. No germex there, okay? None. The manger, the barn, if you would, okay? It's a perfect image of the flesh which God is putting on. He is putting on all of this. This is nasty. It's gross. Again, we're used to it, okay? But the idea of being human, of having a flesh suit, is kind of odd. Pooping, peeing. Think about it, guys. Think about it. Have a child. You'll realize it. Yeah. Rachel's beautiful and all, right? But she wouldn't be if someone didn't clean her up 24-7. She smiles real cute when it goes all the way up her back. You know? Oh, beautiful. Such a gift of God. It smells great too, right? Again, we cannot miss all of this gold here, okay? This is what has the value in the story. He comes and He comes to us. I mean, who here has been around high school or college friends uh, 
recently, if you would, in, you know, in the last five years. It's not weird how you feel the moment you come around them. It puts you all the way back there, right? Just a little bit, right? Clicks and, you know, you know here's who's popular. I mean, like, you know, the jock who was, you know, so popular now, you know, he's working at Subway now, but I mean, like, that's okay, right? And again, he's awesome, okay? But, you know, again, I mean, like, all of a sudden in these circles, he's, he's so cool and he's so awesome. And what happens, you know, is that in these moments, there's this feeling of here I am, here they are. And if that guy would leave his table and come hang out with me at my table, oh my goodness. I mean, how awesome is that, right? Hey, Devin, come sit with us. Again, it sounds goofy and all that kind of stuff, but I mean, unless you were at that table, you know what I'm talking about. You might not like the present, but if he invited you to come eat, you'd be like, oh my goodness. I'm in. I'm in the circle. I'm there. We go to football games, right? Take pictures, you know, with the players. I'm in the club. Look who I know, you know. It's like, I mean, again, in a small way, we get connected into this awesome thing which we which we are part of because it's so much bigger than we are. And God comes down, comes here. If there's anyone who has the right to say, I'm going to keep my circle closed. Me, the Father, Spirit, we're good. <laughs> I mean, and yet he comes and does what? He is the first link in the chain. He comes down and he connects what was separated. He connects my circle to someone else's circle, to God's circle. He comes down in the most humbling, sacrificial, embarrassing way. He takes on a body. And He comes down to us and He steps and He has a foot in this circle and a foot in this circle and He connects the two. Now, the reason that all this, you know, this rambling I've done this morning has value is this. Advent, Christmas, the incarnation, the birth of Jesus should be to all of us a symbol of what our lives are to, to look like. We are to be the ones that our entire life is to connect this circle, Jesus, to this circle, to this family, and this family, and this person. And, and you know, this person's gone through cancer, and this person lost their family, and this one, you know, can't have kids. And we find a way to take our experiences, and, and we find a way to, to, to share who we are and how God has connected us to Himself, and we find a way to connect to where they are, and we bring them in. And we bring them in. And we connect them, and we connect them. And all of a sudden, it's a beautiful thing. The incarnation. Um, the fancy word for Jesus in His life being the first link in the chain that begins to reconnect everything that has been separated. As Christians, we should be the families, the lives that begin to, to, to connect everywhere that we see division. Where there's a racial divide, we stand in the gap and we put a foot in this circle and a foot in that circle and we are the ones who connect. 
political divide. We're the ones who put a foot in a foot and we connect. But it takes two things. We have to be willing to share, first of all, to risk being rejected. And secondly, we have to be willing to love, to value those people. Because here's the issue. When you live the way the world tells you to live, you get to pick and choose who's in your life. You give me value, and you give me value, and, I'll, and ooh, you bring good things too. When we follow Jesus, we don't get that choice anymore. We begin to value people not for what they bring to us, but for who they are. And what happens is this. Our life is supposed to be connected all the way back to the big story. All the way back to, to Adam. All the way back to in the beginning was God. And in some way, when we get ourselves connected to Jesus, to what Jesus did, to the Scriptures, to, to you know, the story of all creation, that God is real. And we connect ourselves all the way back to this. This is what we begin to connect other people to. But when we are not connected, when we're not grounded in this, when the bread and, and the juice don't mean anything to us, when the Scriptures don't mean anything to us, we are not able to connect them to anything. I want to skip down to verse 9 and read it uh, in the Message Bible. Eugene Peterson does a, a, a phenomenal job with this. The Message Bible is very simple. It is, it is focused on getting you the point, not the literal translation. For example, if I said, the bee's knees... The literal translation of that would be the bee's knees, correct? The bee's knees, right? But is that what I'm saying when I say the bee's knees? No, I'm saying it's cool. And then everyone's like, I've never even heard that in my life. That's okay. So what, what the Message Bible does is it, it skips over the, this word, this word. It says, here's what they're trying to say. And so here's what John is trying to say. Ah. Uh, in verse 9, the life light was the real thing. Every person, uh, every person entering life, he brings into light. He was in the world. The world was there through him. And yet the world, it didn't even notice. He came to his own people, but they didn't want him. But whoever did want him, who believed he was who he claimed, and would do what he said, he made to be their true selves. Their child of God's selves. These are the God-begotten, not the blood-begotten, not the flesh-begotten, not the sex-begotten. The Word became flesh and blood and moved, and moved right into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes as the iPad turned off. You guys are like, what? It turned off. Okay, once, here we go. The one-of-a-kind glory. Like father, like son. Generous, inside and out. True from start to finish. If you notice there, verse 14 or 13 there, it says what he came to do, those who received him. Because he comes, and of course he's what? He's also what? Not received as well. He gets rejected. But to those who receive him, to those who, if you would, connect, to interlock with him, he connects them to something different. He connects them to what? To their true selves to their God selves. 
to who they really, truly are, to, to who they are in God in eternity beyond this life, beyond money, beyond titles, beyond homes and houses and, and guns, and, and, and I mean, beyond anything this world is and was, and it connects them to the bigger story, connects them to God. And Jesus comes to, to be that connector, and we are called to be the same. Your life should connect people back to something bigger and more powerful and more real than work or, or you know, football or, or anything beyond that. We are to connect people back to what is most real in this world. All the way back to that.